trade efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 42, we have joining us George Miller. George is Director of Sales at BYD, where we talk about BYD's relationship with Anheuser-Busch, their experience in run-on-less electric, and what it is about beverage hauling that makes it a good fit for electric vehicles. He also shares his thoughts on bi-directional charging, the need for standardization, the role of utilities in the successful deployment of EVs, the lessons the U.S. and Canada can learn from China, and the importance of battery recycling. Today we have joining us George Miller. George is Director of Sales at BYD. Hello, George. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Hi, Mike. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, although we've been friends for a while, I should know more about BYD than I do, so I'm looking to learn along <laughs> with uh, along with the audience. But uh, before we dig right in, I always ask, you know, how did we become friends? Um, do, you, do you remember how you and I met and um, how you learned about NACFI? Yeah, so my first time learning about NACFI was actually at the ACT Expo. I think it was back in 2018. You guys had a big room. Uh, it was fully packed and uh, all sorts of details on some of your data, I think, from probably the previous run. And uh, so I was learning at that point a lot about electric trucks and uh, about trucking efficiencies in general. So that got me a bit more tuned into NACFI. I think I met you at a, a cocktail hour or something. Yeah, um, workshops and and uh, happy hours. That makes good sense. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way I recall it. You know, uh, let's just jump right into the BYD piece. I mean, many of us in electric vehicles. I mean, we know of BYD, but I got to be frank, and and I think a lot of people, you know, we kind of know BYD as that China bus builder who's expanding into trucks. <laughs> um, so tell us a bit more. I mean, tell us a little bit about the history uh operations and products but both both in asia and um here in the united states george just bring us up to speed sure yeah so byd was started back in 1995 as a battery company uh initially doing cell phone batteries did some with computers the first motorola flip phone had a byd battery in it and from there we moved on to other electronics into cars and forklifts and buses, then into trucks, and then we got into SkyRail. Back in 2008, we received some Berkshire Hathaway investment, and uh, that was a significant uh, boost to our overall global profile and accelerated a lot of our, our global growth. Uh, that vote of confidence has definitely helped to encourage a lot more U.S. investment into the company. So now we've got a, a huge amount of U.S. investment into BYD as a company. We've been operating in the U.S. here for probably eight years, yeah, since 2013, and we started bringing trucks in here, really working on them in 2015. First trucks were deployed in 2016, and uh, we've been growing ever since. Definitely had our biggest year yet last year, and uh, looks like a, a bigger one coming next year. Overall, uh, it's a global company. Um, we've got probably 44 manufacturing facilities across the globe um, and uh, you know, really all the major continents. And then uh, U.S., we've got 800 employees or a little over. Uh, our main facility is in Lancaster. That's where we do manufacturing and assembly. We've got our primary spare parts facility there, and uh, that's a 100,000 square foot spare parts facility that's kind of mothership for the the U.S. contingent, and then we've got service centers. At this point, six of them across the country that 
serve as service points for our trucks, as well as spare parts stocking in their own right for local de uh, deployments. And then we've got technicians and engineers that are all in those service centers as well. And then lastly, we've got uh, probably uh, you know dozen and a half uh, mobile technicians that are all deployed closer to the customer site so that we can make certain we're, we're maintaining um, you know, really prompt response times with our customers. Do the trucks come in as kits or full vehicles? Yeah, it's a good question. So it depends on the vehicle, but they are coming over with the, the primary manufacturing happening overseas. They come in, um, you know, on the on the ships, and uh, they are uh, able to, to, you know, most of them are able to roll at that point. Uh, but we're putting batteries, we're putting mirrors, we're putting lights, we're putting telematics, any of the customizations, um, and uh, a lot of the different kind of upfitting. Any of the bodies that we're putting onto them are generally done here in the U.S. Uh, we work with a number of different bodybuilders for the boxes and for for refuse bodies, uh, and that would all happen here in the U.S. or does happen in the, in the U.S. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm sure as we've seen other, you know, uh, offshore manufacturers start to get in and learn the U.S. marketplace. I mean, there's the legal requirements first, right? I mean, you know, headlights and mirrors and, you know, uh, pieces that, that sometimes need to be uh, modified or, or switched out for, for U.S. Mm -hmm. laws, but then then there become that, that second um, sort of bunch of, of local requirements. I mean, you know, things like in Class 8, we really don't have too many cab overs. I think um, your Class 8 product is a cab over. So uh, kind of walk us through some of the U.S. specific needs that you've uncovered here in the early days of providing U.S. trucks to fleets in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, we definitely don't want to recreate the wheel on too many things. So we're using standard brake suppliers and light suppliers uh, to to simplify all of the FMVSS requirements. Um, here in the U.S., we have found that there's definitely a higher expectation in terms of acceleration, in terms of range capabilities. The, um, the driver comforts are also... Um, just a higher standard than we see other parts around the world. Um, and overall, the, the seating requirements, you wanna have more options for seating. You've got plenty of small drivers, but also some uh, larger drivers that we need to accommodate. And so those are all things that we make certain to accommodate into our trucks, which is, it's been helpful getting through our first and second generations. We're now on to generation number three and that's across all of our vehicles and, and has allowed us to really hit all of those high points. And circling back to the end of your earlier question, the game path forward is uh, certainly to bring more and more of our manufacturing here to the US. At this point, as I mentioned, we're at over 200 trucks, uh, but we're seeing that scale pretty quickly. And, and as it does scale, the more manufacturing we can bring to your, here to the US, uh, the more that we can save on all sorts of different costs, whether it's logistics of shipping them or taxes on bringing them in, um, the more local sourcing and production we can do, the better. So we certainly see that as a, a future growth path for us. Tell us about yourself, George. I mean, how'd you get into this? What's been your career and education path to today? I've certainly been focused on environmentalist work since I was in college. Uh, I think my, my dad and parents really drove me into that focus from an early age. 
Uh, my first job out of college was a nuclear energy consulting firm in Beijing. And uh, then I moved on to the Kauffman Foundation, which was a really interesting role uh, working for the CEO there, a guy named Carl Schramm, uh, who was really pushing the power of innovation and entrepreneurship uh, and showing how you can bring these new technologies to market and, and really make an impact on the market. Then I went to business school uh, and I managed the MIT Clean Energy Prize there and was really pushing for the clean technology type startups to, to grow and get funding and get attention from venture funds and some strategic investors uh, in the, the energy space. Uh, I interned with a group named XL Hybrids at the time, now XL Fleet, and was helping them as they, they accelerated to uh, some future raises and were growing their, their product portfolio uh, for putting hybrid conversion kits onto vans. And then my first you know, real job out of, uh, out of business school was a group named Blue Wave Solar, and uh, they were advancing solar to different low-income housing groups and local communities in Massachusetts. And that just highlighted how much batteries are critical to the solar market. And so I was looking into what was my, my next step, wanted to move out to California, and found BYD is really the leader in um, you know, electrified everything and uh, making our own batteries and making trucks and, and forklifts and buses. It seemed like a, an interesting place to work. And it was just LinkedIn. Uh, I clicked my, clicked my way through and, uh, and got to speaking with the right players there and um, found myself onto the truck team, uh, leading everything for the national fleets. And, and it's been a real growth opportunity there. You mentioned run on less electric and, you know, BYD was a participant with uh, Anheuser-Busch. Um, you know, tell us about the relationship with Anheuser-Busch as sort of a, an example of, of how BYD does, um, you know, deploy, early deployments with customers. I mean, how'd that project come about? And um, maybe share a little bit about the run on less experience with the folks. Uh, Anheuser-Busch is an outstanding partner and, uh, and customer of ours. Been working with them since the early days of my time at BYD. Uh, there was kind of back and forth. I actually reached out to them and then someone else reached out to us. And, uh, so we got going early on. It was around the zero and near zero emission freight facilities grant program, which is all part of the California Climate Initiative, CCI. And uh, so we put together a really compelling proposal to put electric trucks on the road to support Anheuser-Busch. And with that, it had a really step-by-step -step process. We were only on our first generation truck there, and we knew that it needed to, to improve in order to really satisfy drivers. So we went through a collaborative approach, put it into testing with the Anheuser-Busch drivers in both uh, Silmar and Carson. And we took their feedback and, uh, and then integrated it into our development for the second generation truck, which we were able to test probably about a year, a year after the initial tests and those tests went really well and actually at act 2019 uh anheuser-busch hopped up onto a, a panel and was talking about it and how how well um we had done and and their enthusiasm for the trucks and then later that year got got all of them into service um so that's been been great uh for the run on less electric uh you all came to us after a little bit of time of the trucks actively running. And, uh, and so we had a good year of experience with the trucks uh, by the time the run had started. And that really allowed us to have a, a reliable set of data and some experienced driver feedback uh, on the, the vehicles that played well into the, the run on less program. 
Um, with Anheuser-Busch, we've got a great relationship, foresee much more collaboration going forward. And they've got a great duty cycle for electric um, and could be a, a, a great pioneer for, for moving this you know, widely across the country instead of just in the, the hotbeds of incentives. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I got to say that, you know, when we started our electric truck work, beverage didn't jump out at us here at NACFI as an early adopter. And, and I think we had our sort of our blinders on about heavyweight. We just had, you know, the the, the heavyweight applications um, where one is going to, you know, consume a lot of the energy and two, you know, these electric trucks tend to be heavier than the diesel ones. So we didn't want to lose payload. And so I don't know, just beverage didn't come to mind, but boy, I think we were really wrong. I mean, we're seeing with, um, you know, Anheuser-Busch, we've also done a lot of work with PepsiCo and this, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've come to believe these, these beverage um, will definitely be an early adopter of electric trucks. So maybe let's talk about what exactly is it about that duty cycle and how they operate that, that make it a uh, ripe for electric yeah, it's really localized is the is the key there. So they're dropping off to a lot of different uh, distributors and a lot of different stores. And so each driver, they're not fully waiting out. Uh, they'll they'll have ten stops and uh, and still only be carrying you know thirty five to forty thousand pounds of payload in their trailer. And so that allows them to still meet the weight requirements. Uh, and then, they're only driving, you know, it really depends, but somewhere between 30 to maybe on the outside and 100 miles a day in the truck. And so it's a, a great uh, ability to handle that. We can handle that for many years to come, even with battery degradation. And uh, and then that's just more efficient for electric vehicles. Electric motors are most efficient at low speeds, and that's exactly where any sort of combustion engine is worst. So they're putting out huge amounts of particulate matter and uh, and wasting lots of fuel as they idle, whereas an electric vehicle just uh, puts out nothing and is, is really great on the regenerative braking as you're stopping and starting at each of these locations. We also have a great turning radius on these trucks because of that cab over that you mentioned uh, and great visibility as well by sitting up high. Uh, so it's been a, a really nice match for, uh, for the Anheuser-Busch side. And hopefully for PepsiCo as well um, in the future. Yeah, and another piece of that that we've come to discover, you know, along with you guys when we came and visited is the, um, the uh, you know, the uh, uh, return to base. I mean, they all return to the same base and they, they, they sit there for a long time. A lot of these stores don't allow overnight deliveries. Um, you know, they tend to be one shift operation. Um, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes the the trucks will be parked and they'll be driven through the um, warehouse to be loaded with, you know, beverages and then taken back to the, to the parking spot before the driver comes in. But, you know, a, a long dwell time also to charge and that allows even some of those cheaper, slower chargers, uh, which uh, the fleet can save some money on too. Now, you know, they may, they, they may want to have a couple of trucks that they can do faster charging to be able to do double shift. But for the most part, that's another reason, right. That uh, make these um, uh, really good, early on adopters. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, I would say uh, the only counterpoint I'd make to that is the real value uh, that I see, which is still, you know, embryonic, but, uh, but worth noting here is bi-directional charging. So, um, you know, I see any of these distribution fleets that are coming back to base by early afternoon uh, with any reserve state of charge uh, or even the ability to charge quickly 
before that demand peak that happens generally in like the four to seven period, they have a huge opportunity to to make money uh, by being plugged in. So adds another revenue stream to the truck, uh, which can be really significant. And that's something we're exploring uh, is how do we we really enable these fleet customers to do that. Uh, or we should have that enabled on our trucks here and um, at least you know, first half of 2022. And, um, and that'll be a great growth um, opportunity for them. Uh, I also don't want to forget noting AB is just a great partner on sustainability in general. They, uh, they do this up and down their supply chain. So they're working with farmers to increase regenerative agriculture. They're trying to reduce water usage. And uh, the, the transportation is certainly a valuable piece of it, uh, but it's just one piece of their puzzle. Yeah, when you were talking about your career, you mentioned how in solar you realized how important batteries were, and it is it is interesting. We've got two things going on here uh, that we can definitely take advantage of. You've got electric trucks and buses, for that matter, um, with big battery packs. At the same time, we are um, you know going renewables. Many um, companies and sites are putting battery storage on to. Um, to both be resilient, but also to deal with um, you know high demand charges in certain times of the day. So why not marry them up and use them both? Um, I think that's a some people see that as a as a dream that'll never happen, and others um, you know because of just the complexities of management. But I, I tend to agree with you. I think there's a real opportunity there. Yeah, I mean some are definitely seeing it already with the uh, the Nissan Leafs that are out there. A lot of people think it's just a, a school bus thing for commercial fleets, but uh, but I think the distribution market is a, a sleeper on that front and uh, and could be a real point of value. Yeah. So, you know, run on less in 2021, we were able to, you know, kind of show that that these work in the real world. We kind of confirmed the operation of the EVs. We even got into how their total cost of ownership is, is proving out, you know, to be, you know, maybe not completely on par with diesel, but, um, you know, surprising many of us in uh, how, how well they're performing. What do you see are the keys and what will 2022 um, have for us as, as the industry sort of builds momentum? What are, what are some of the real keys in this coming year? Yeah, so uh, first off, we're going to really need the, the infrastructure to be there uh, and to have the utilities ready to support this quickly. Uh, the biggest challenge I've had at BYD is getting the charging ready for trucks. I've, you know, in one case waited three years to get chargers in. And oh by that my. point, you know, you're on to the next generation of trucks. Uh, so having utilities learn from some of the mistakes of, of others uh, in California or in New Jersey, uh, you know, wherever these have, have gone first, uh, that's definitely helpful. Um, we're coming forth with more financing solutions. I think transportation as a service is going to be a really interesting spot in the market where fleets are able to kind of do as they have normally done and pay for these in an operational way. If it's like a, a full service lease type option uh, and, and have the financing companies come in with infrastructure partners to better understand what are the overall costs and how do we amortize that over a long period of time. How do we get really strategic about the incentives? Um, you know, those will definitely be helpful. Um, back to the bi-directional charging, the utilities haven't really figured out how to monetize that fully in, in all of the different states. So there's some policy details to work out. Uh, some are more advanced than others. Uh, California is certainly pushing the envelope there. And I think Massachusetts is another that's uh, pretty, pretty well suited for, for that, but others need to kind of 
figure that piece out. Uh, and then, you know, kind of obviously we need more more truck options. Uh, BYD's out here with our Class 6 and Class 8 vehicles on the uh, the box trucks, uh, refuse trucks, tractors, and yard tractors. But uh, but we need competition um, and, and make certain that they get scale on their, their production and uh, get it out there. I think we're all pretty aligned on CCS1 as the charging standard. Uh, so that's, that's definitely helpful to us, just keeping a, a standard charging port for the industry. Price on carbon never hurts as well, uh, preferably a, a dividend-based price on carbon, but, uh, but that's you know, on my wish list. Well, that's a great list. I was writing fast, uh, George, but it's a good thing we're recording this so I can uh, go back and put, put, the, put those to, to use. Um, uh, you know, one, one thought I'd be interested in from your perspective, uh, being a, you know, involved with a Chinese company. And, you know, many say that, um, you know, the Chinese are far ahead of the U.S. and even Europe with respect to batteries and, you know, power electronics and, and, and uh, the components around electric vehicles. Um, well, first of all, do you agree with that? Secondly, um, sort of what, what do you think um, learnings are there that, that, that we in the U.S. and Canada in particular can, uh, can learn from uh, right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the key thing there is the sort of ability to focus resources onto the, the decarbonization of transportation and uh, ability to standardize on, on specifications and uh, on processes. Uh, you know, at this point, we've kind of let it, left it to uh, a lot of the, the state and uh, local governments to, uh, to pass different incentive structures and, um, and also to the local utilities to figure out their own processes and how they're going to incentivize this. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, coordination that then has to happen between the fleet operators, the infrastructure players, the financing, the utilities, uh, and construction companies, uh, the local permitting agencies. The more that we can start to, to create a best practice and bring together all of the, the resources, uh, I really think from a federal level, uh, the quicker we're going to be able to move and to get all these different states to to, um, to move electric vehicles. Uh, we've got examples coming forth here uh, in California and um, somewhat, I think New Jersey is sort of our, our other hotbed, but we've seen it, you know, somewhat Colorado has come forth a bit. But the more that we can learn those lessons and start to, to share them uh, and standardize things, the more that we're gonna be able to move quickly. Um, and then you know, just on a, a more general level, I, I definitely think we should be investing into having local battery production and um, having a lot of capabilities to service batteries and electric vehicles. And uh, also hugely important would be recycling of batteries, uh, the ability for us to take older batteries, especially as we have newer, higher power density batteries coming on the market and people want to upgrade, uh, we should be able to, to recycle those resources and get the, uh, the, the metals back for new batteries. It's a set of questions that we get at McAfee quite often, and it, it one it, it tells me that if we're in that kind of level of detail in the weeds, then these electric trucks are really going to happen. Um, and and secondly, you know wherever the big focus is, the the more local um, in quotes, <laughs> uh, the better. So um, one one final question for you, and then I, I got to be wrapping this up, George. It's been great. 
is around, um, you know, many of these depots and these warehouses, they have forklifts, terminal tractors, and tractors coming and going. So, um, you know, for a facility that oftentimes doesn't have a lot of electric demand, um, you know, we're, we're now asking a lot. But in your experience, and the fact that BYD produces all three of those vehicles is a, is a kind of a good process to start with forklifts, learn something there, move to an electric terminal tractor, and then, you know, ultimately to um, the uh, over-the-road um, heavy tractors? Is that a, a, a logical progression for fleets? Yeah, um, it's not a bad progression. Uh, I'd say most folks um, that are updating their fleets are already on electric forklifts. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are certainly a few propane forklifts out in the market, um, but uh, but that's definitely fewer and far between and uh, electric forklifts make absolute sense. There's just way less maintenance on them. And, uh, and with the lithium technologies, you can run them through any duty cycle and, and opportunity charge to, to keep those going. Uh, the next up is definitely the yard trucks uh, because they're staying local to the facilities and, uh, and have such a start stop um, duty cycle and there's no range restraints and then over the road is is next uh i wouldn't say that you have to go through uh the the step-by-step process and what you're going to find is on the utility front that you need to to plan ahead um yeah you need to have some sense of what you're going for over the next 10 years so that the utility can correctly serve you and bring you the appropriate power uh, and, and set it up in the right places with the right conduits to to support you over that full cycle. So we generally find that folks can get at least you know two chargers onto their current um, circuit breaker capacity, and uh, that'll help them to pilot it and give them a sense of hey, we want to move forward with this. And and then when they go bigger on their uh, their fleet, then they have a better sense of what they're going for overall. Yeah, yeah. Well, very good. I, I really appreciate you joining us. It's been fascinating, George, and best of luck to you and, and BYD and these efforts around truck electrification. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.